Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible, I invite you to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Um, I thought in light of kind of the big, heavy doctrinal stuff that we've done, uh, and then we're going to start the Gospel of John come Easter time, we just take a, a, about a three-week run here at something very practical and talk about uh, decisions. Anybody have any decisions coming up uh, over the next, you know, uh, day, month, week, year? Uh, you know, anything like that? Anybody have big decisions coming forth? A lot of us do. Um, and so I just, I, here, here's what I promise you. I promise you that the Bible is probably not going to answer your question. That's terrible, isn't it? But what I think over the next couple of weeks, what we hope uh, is that God will speak to us, how I'm praying that God will speak to us so that we understand how to frame out these, like how do we actually do this in a way um, that honors the Lord. And so uh, decisions, uh, we'll work on this. Um, here in Jeremiah chapter 29, it's, um, it contains probably the most famous verse in the Old Testament. I think it has overtaken some of the others, but most famous verse in the Old Testament. Uh, in, the way that you measure that is the number of coffee cups on which a verse appears. You can't get better in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I want to go ahead and read it and just glory in its promise. You ready? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or your goodness or to profit you, depending upon your translation, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now, can we just pause here? I mean, coffee cup comments notwithstanding. Is that a good promise? Dude, that is a good promise. God has plans. They're not terrible. <laughs> I mean, like, in fact, they're the opposite of terrible. They're, they're like awesome. Fantastic. And so for us, for you and for me, to experience and to live in and to deal with and reckon with and uh, hold on to um, this particular promise... That God has plans and they are to do us good. It says some things about God, which we'll talk about. But also like, uh, man, we need to hold on to these things and hold tightly to these things and understand that this is the kind of God um, that we uh, worship, follow, sing about, these kinds of things. So uh, what's important, though, is that Jeremiah 20, 29, 11 doesn't come on a coffee cup. It comes in a context. It sits in the middle of a story. And so uh, let's go all the way back to uh, chapter 29, verse 1. Let's start there. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now there's our context verse right there. And if you're not familiar with how the story is unfolding, I'll just try to catch you up ever so slightly. Uh, God uses a fellow named Moses. Um, he delivers the people out of Egypt and uh, brings them into the promised land. That federation of tribes ultimately gets united under a king. Saul was the first one, stuck it in the ditch. David was the second one. It has his own set of problems, right? Uh, Solomon came along, did fine for a while. His heart turned, and then Solomon's son, when his son took the throne, the kingdom divided. So you now have the kingdom of Israel, northern tribes of ten, um, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, two southern tribes. The kingdom of Israel in the 700s was taken away by Assyria, conquered by the uh, empire of Assyria uh, in, in the... Um, 
Around 600 BC, give or take, um, the southern kingdom of Judah came under siege and was ultimately conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, who is the uh, Babylonian uh, emperor. Okay, so that's where we are. So um, they have taken us, God's people, out of Jerusalem, out of their lands, and relocated them. It would be like you having to move to Dallas. Oh, Jesus, help us one and all. You would lose your land, your friends, maybe your family, your job, these kinds of things. And, and all of this would happen. All of this would happen um, by this, you know, this decree here. There's, there's a bad guy, Nebuchadnezzar, and he just shows up and does this. This is the context into which God says, hey, I know the plans that I have for you. It's that context, okay? So uh, I want to give you um, just some things to think about today. Uh, the first one starts actually down in verse 4. So if you'll skip down uh, to verse 4. The letter that Nebuchadnezzar wrote, here's what it said. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The first word is the word commit, commit. And um, where, where I want to start here is just to remind us all, one and all, that choices have consequences. Don't miss what verse 4 says and the pronoun there. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Now, in verse 1, it was Nebuchadnezzar who took them into exile. In verse 4, God's like, yeah, I used him. But really, it was me. Choices have consequences. That's important to remember because these folks ended up in exile because of their choices. Their hearts inclined away from God and to idols. Their hearts inclined away from uh, doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God to doing the opposite of all of those things. Their choices um, led them, if you will, um, away from God. This is important, important, because the choices uh, that we make will either bring us closer to God or push us further away from Him. And some people think, oh, well, <laughs> I got this one. I'm going to choose not to choose. Let me ask you this. When people choose not to choose, are they choosing? Yes. And they're choosing to drift. And I don't know a single story in the Bible or in life where somebody has drifted and ended up in godliness. Oh, how did I get here? <laughs> choices have consequences. And the choices that we make have to consistently reflect our commitment to him. Choices have Consequences. I, I think um, underneath this so, uh, sort of thing is a question that we all ask, and it's you know kind of uh, wrapped up in some of this uh, uh, coffee cup theology. But it goes something like this: the wrong question is, uh, "What is God's will for my life?" I think that's a bad question. I think it's a bad question because it's too long. I think the question that we should be asking is. We've got to truncate that a little bit. What is God's will? What is God's will? We'll come back to this analogy here in just a minute, but like God's will is much more so like a river than we could ever imagine. Like a, the river shapes us and the terrain around us. 
It it, uh, uh, defines us. We don't uh, define it. Some of you have heard this part of my story, but anybody... um, Anybody struggle in junior high spiritually? Just, you don't have to raise your hand. Oh, yeah, a few of you are like, oh, yeah, that was my least favorite time of life ever for multiple reasons. Yeah, uh, me, me too. But God sent my friend John along um, in, in, when I was in junior high, and he was the very first person that I encountered whose life wrapped around his faith instead of the other way around. I, I grew up in a religious household. Faith, for the most part, was a convenience thing for a lot of people that I interacted with. To to the degree that faith made me more socially acceptable, to the degree that faith made me uh, a nicer person, to the degree that uh, faith made me more successful in my little hometown, or to the degree that faith got me into the right circles, into the right conversations, or whatever, that was all great. Faith was an add-on, an addendum, a uh, secret ingredient to the sauce. John comes along... And his life is wrapped around his faith, not vice versa. This is how we need to think about this issue. When we think about decisions, we need to think about what is God's will. Not what God's will for my life. My life needs to join his will. I'm not asking his will to join my life. What is God's will? That's really the question. Um, as we work through this today, I, I just want to point out a couple of believable lies. Like these are things that will get articulated and that they're believable. They, they just are. But I want to show you why, there's, uh, why they're lying. Um, God's will, here's the believable lie under this first little section. God's will is advice. You can take it or you can leave it. Uh, it, it is for your enhancement or your enjoyment um, or to just kind of keep you out of trouble a little bit. That is not how the Bible talks about God's will. And that is not certainly how you and I need to interact with this. Um, Here's what I would ask you, uh, uh, maybe a diagnostic question to see if uh, you're taking it as advice. If I knew what God's will for my life was, would I follow it unconditionally? Like if I knew the next 15 steps, would I take them unconditionally? I don't know about you. I'll just fess up for me, okay? I would do like steps one and two, and then I would want to edit step three. Step six would be okay, but maybe step seven and eight, I would really want to rework. Like it needs some major re-overhaul kind of stuff. If I knew the next X number of steps, would I commit to those unconditionally? And the answer is probably not. I mean, that's just the reality. So for us, for us then, um, we, the people, need, need uh, the, the underlying problem underneath that question, if I knew it beforehand, would I commit unconditionally? The underlying problem is we know so little of the one that we're following. He's the God of Israel. He's the Lord of hosts. And the question that's even underneath that one more time is, if, if he is that, can he really be trusted? Can he really be counted on to do me good? Or to do good generally. Remember the context. How this unfolds. And what we need to remember is that choices have consequences. And we need to commit to him. Commit to him no matter matter what. Um, We'll come back to this at the end. But I just want to point this out. The thing that he's asking you to do 
commit to Him unconditionally is the thing that He has already done for you. We look to Jesus. We look at the one who left heaven and came to earth. We look at the one who sacrificed himself in our place and for our sins, like we just read in the creed a moment ago. We, we look at the one who um, rose victoriously, even though, man, there were some people who really did not get it at all. In fact, accused him of the opposite. We look to Jesus, who is God's commitment to us. He's asking for you and me to commit to him. And he, we look to Jesus to understand um, his commitment to us. This is how he has shown his commitment to us. The next word I want to give you, uh, we'll talk about it for just a minute before we jump into the text here. But the first word is commit. The second word is daily, daily. Um, Some people think, and I I think this is mistaken. Some people think it's really easy to follow God in the big decisions. Do I, you know, move here? Do I do this? But the, but the reality is, is that the big decisions often get shaped by the little decisions that we make. The big stuff happens, and it's the little decisions underneath it that, um, that actually shape who we are. Do, do, we, do, we, do we need daily practice? And what's the answer to that? Yes. Jesus himself notes this. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What? Oh. Every day, do I get a day off? I'd rather do it once a week. Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this kind of daily practice, these daily decisions, these daily exercises that we go through, these daily things build into our lives the kind of muscle memory that it takes so that when the big decision comes, you're good. Like you can step out in confidence knowing you've done all the little things and God can help you um, with the bigger things. So I'll just give you a couple of uh, illustrations. Hopefully this will uh, kind of put you in, uh, uh, you know, maybe stick in your mind. Uh, it's my favorite time of year. Basketball, see, like it is wrapping up, right? So good. Um, Cougs are going to make a big run, maybe. Anybody? UH? Okay. We'll see what happens. Favorite time of year, March Madness. Some of you may not know this, nor could you tell by my current uh, stature, but I used to play a lot of basketball. I really did. And part of what I did as a kid forever, I shot a hundred free throws every day. What does that mean? That means that I have shot thousands upon thousands of free throws. I mean, thousands upon thousands of free throws every day, a hundred of them. Because this is what I loved, this is what I did, and I wanted to be really good at that moment. And sure enough, I mean, like, there, there were uh, um, regular moments where I could step up to the free throw line and make a free throw. And there were pressure-packed moments where you got to put this to, put to, you know, to kind of seal the game, to ice the game, or to get us back to a tie or whatever. And I could step up and do it. Crowd could be screaming, it could be dead silent, whatever it may be. I had the same routine, walked through things, put my toe on the line, this is kind of how it goes. And I was a pretty dang good free throw shooter because... Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, I practice. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of free throws. It just got built in. So um, when the, the big moment came, I was practiced and I was ready. 
Some of you, that's not your issue. Like, it, it, it's, it's not that the big moment's here or whatever, but like, hey, it's been a while since I've had to trust God. Like, for these things. For a big thing, whatever it may be. In addition to playing basketball, I also play tennis. Um, it, here's the thing. I, I have played enough tennis in my life. It's funny. I was talking with Ed about this just a minute ago. I played enough tennis with my life that if you want to go out and hit the tennis ball, I can still go out and do it. All right? I'm not going to swing and miss. Uh, it, we are at the point in my life where my teenage son, who plays uh, for his school, can beat me. He's in Nicaragua right now, so don't tell him that I'm you know, confessing this, but that is the reality. However, just to go out and bang the ball around, I can absolutely still do. Why? 49 years old. It's been a long time. But simply because of all of these things that have happened, like all of these practices, all of these moments, all of these ways that I have done this before that is, would allow me to do it now. Some of you, you're at a point in your life where, man, it's been a little bit. It's been a year, a month, a, it, it's a couple of years. Maybe it's been several years since I've had to trust God for something big. What I'm telling you is, is that the daily commitments that you make, keep that in your muscle memory. So that if the big decision comes, you're ready to shoot the free throw. Or so that if it's kind of been on pause for a while, but you kept up kind of the daily stuff, guess what? The muscle memory of how to hit a forehand will still come back to you. And, and there are some temptations that come along when this happens. When we commit and, and our, our daily expression of this, our, our regular rhythm of this, when that happens, um, there are some temptations that come along. Look, if you will, in verse 4. Let's start again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Huh. I've been exiled to Dallas and I'm supposed to pray for Dallas? Are you kidding me? Dallas jokes aside. What if the temptation comes along, and it will, to say, God, I really want to go a different direction. Build houses. Live there. Get married. Have kids. Have some grandkids. For Seek the welfare of the city. Yeah, God, but I don't like where I am right now. Yeah. Seek the welfare of the city because it's in its welfare you will find your own welfare. In between services, somebody popped their head. Hey, I just want you to know, I'm pretty sure I'm in Babylon right now with my job. I'm doing my best to seek the welfare of that city, but poof. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That doesn't take it away. That doesn't take the struggle away. It doesn't take, the temptation, though, is to say, God, hey, listen, uh, because I'm, it's not going very well for me right now, I'm out. Thanks so much. This would be the equivalent of anybody like to go tubing on a river. You know, you like you're a tube person. You jump into the river, you go down to Guadalupe or wherever, and you're like floating along, and the river bends to the, you know, kind of bends off to the right there, and you're like, I don't want to go right. I want to go straight. Well, you got two options at that point. What are your options? You go where the river goes, or you grab your tube and get out and walk. And if you grab your tube and get out and walk, you're on your own. If the river bends... And this is the direction. 
I mean, you can protest. You, you can flop around. But you will either go where the river goes. God, I, I don't like it, but I'm okay. All right, this is where we're going. Or you'll get out. And you're on your own. A different direction. Uh, the, the second temptation, I think, comes along. Look at verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. You go back to chapter 28, they're just packed. All of these guys are showing up being like, hey, listen, God's going to take care of us. Hey, it's just going to be a couple more weeks. Hey, don't believe him. He says, for it is a lie, verse 9, that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. That is a, a, a different promise or a better promise that's being offered. A better promise. Uh, the tubing on the river equivalent would be you're kind of in that slow part where it's not very fun. And you look over and there's a party going on on the beach over there. You're like, that looks like far more fun than what I'm going through right now. A better promise. But again, if you get out, you're out. You're You're on your own on this thing. Like you can go where the river goes. This, this kind of better promise. Uh, l- last thing. Um, verse 10. <clears throat> for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... Look, can we just, before we run away from verse 8 and 9, there's how many voices and how loud is the noise right now that says, hey, look, yeah, I know God said. I know the Bible says. I know the testimony of Christianity for a couple of millennia now has said this, but it's way better over here. Church family, listen to me. There will always be somebody who is claiming to offer you a better promise, and it's not really better. It's just not. It may look more fun, but it's not better. Okay, verse 10. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good, your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. So how long did they get to hang out? Oh my gosh, 70 years. Uh, The temptation that comes along sounds something like better timing. Better timing. Uh, this, this kind of bad timing here, God, this is all rapids. I'm on the tube here. It's all rapids and it's not much fun. Like this is just, ah, I don't want any part of this anymore. Some of the most difficult moments in my own life, and I think listening to you and to the stories that we share together because we're church family. Some of the most difficult moments for us, especially, and it's kind of uh, ratcheted up, if you will, by, uh, you know, microwaves and instantaneous uh, uh, feedback on, on the question that we may have. Some of the most difficult times are the times when we have to wait. But here we are, waiting. Y'all, I I don't know what it looks like for you. I know how hard it is for me. I don't know every situation in which you're waiting. I know what these things feel like in me. And there are times when, even when we wait, something else goes 
differently than we wished it would. Seventy years. Then I'm going to fulfill my promise. Just underneath this, the big lie uh, that, that is uh, the, the believable lie that's that's under this, uh, where we need to remind ourselves of this kind of daily walk, the big uh, believable lie goes something like this, that God wants me to be successful. And that's true in this sense. If you define success as God defines success, not as the culture defines success, not as even the church defines success, not as, um, uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, kind of people, influencers, whatever, not as they define, but as, God defines success. It is true that God wants you to be successful if you define successful the same way as God did. Most of the time, that's not how it goes. Why? Because we think success is prosperity or it's comfort or it's ease or it's security. And God says, on all of that. He is far more concerned about your character than he is about your comfort. His, like, when it comes to, I'm going to take you this particular direction. The river is bending this way and you're going to come along with me. He's doing so to make you more like Jesus. Ah, well, I know that there's a big party going on and it looks like you're, um, that maybe that's a better deal for you and your temptation, you fighting the temptation to get out of the river and to join the party on the beach. To, to fight the temptation means that you're becoming more like Jesus. To walk through the trial, in particular, the trial of timing. God, I'm having to wait. I'm having to wait. I'm having to wait. To walk through that shapes us so that we become like Jesus. The daily commitment that expresses in the actions that we take, the choices that we make, those shape us to be like Jesus. That is how God defines success. Last thing, verse 12. To seek him. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. Right, just Can we just like hold on to that for a second? We come to God the God of the universe, the God who's in charge of everything. He made the stars. He made the planets. He's got all of it functioning. And by the word of his power, he is holding it all together according to Colossians chapter 1. He's got the economy and he's got um, Ukraine and he's got all the other stuff that's happening. He's got it all under control. And listen, when we come to him, he hears us. Just hold on to that. God doesn't turn a deaf ear or he's not so busy. He didn't put in his... Uh, Earphones and press the noise canceling feature. Verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Seek him. Seek him. I I note here simply that there is never a command to seek his will ever. Like you don't find in the Bible a command to seek his will. You can find all sorts of commands to seek him. And underneath a believable lie is something like, maybe this is the best way to articulate it, that God's will is some sort of commodity that is in some way separate from him. Like God's will is up on a shelf and you uh, come to the front desk, you're like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, yes, may I help you? Hello, God. I would like some of your will today. 
Can you get it for me? He's like, oh yeah, there it is. No, no, no. Think about it. Just think about your own life. If you're going to find like your intent, your will, like the, the, the part of who you are that makes the decisions, where are you going to find it? Along with you. Like if you stand up, your will stands up too. If you will go out to lunch here in a minute, you will be feeding your will also. Those two things always go together. It's not as if God and his will are two separate things. People get into all sorts of trouble um, when they think that. Um, the, the, the question goes something like this. And I think this is a good analogy. Do you want a map or do you want a guide? Now, listen. Even fake guides are still trouble. Because the Google lady, the Google lady, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? The Google lady, there are two things that are true in my life, in my relationship with the Google lady. Number one, it will take you 14 minutes to get there. I take that as a challenge. Anybody with me on that? You're just like, nope, I'm going to do it in 13, baby. Watch this. (laughs) That's dumb, isn't it? But here I am. Uh, that's, That's true. That's number one. Number one, it's a challenge. Number two, she's not omniscient. She's not. Again, I'm just uh, I'm confessing my own driving habits here. If I have to go up the Gulf Freeway to downtown, there are exits that I take, take the feeder road, and get back on. And I save myself like two minutes. And I'm like, ha, 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 Google lady, I got you. She didn't tell me to exit, but I knew to exit. Why? Because I know that, like, right there before 610, you, you have to exit. Because, like, all these lanes come together and then people are trying to get over. No, 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 yeah. You've got to exit and get off and get back on. That's just the deal. I know this because I've lived it. I've experienced it. Google lady, she doesn't know this. Even fake guides like the Google lady don't have it all. If you have a guide, a real guide, you can, instead of looking down, you can look up. You can keep your eyes on the guide. You can look around, see the sights. You can look over here and see what's going on. You can interact. If my eyes are up instead of down, if my um, eyes are on the guide and my ears are attuned uh, to what the guide is saying, then I can also interact with the people around me on the way. Guides are far better than maps. In our lives, sometimes we long, because we want to control it, we long for a map. God offers himself as a guide. We don't seek his will. We seek him. The best way to find out what someone wants. In other words, what their will is. The best way to find out what someone wants on a consistent basis is to know that person intimately. Some of you in the room, you you are measuring your marriage relationship in decades, plural. And it doesn't take much for you to be in a room and something, some event, something gets said, something happens, and you just give that spouse of yours a knowing glance And you know exactly what that person is thinking, how they're feeling, and what they might say or want to say, even though they're going to keep their mouth shut. Because you know them. 
your lives are intertwined. Two really are becoming one. And because of that, you know what their will is. Same way with God. We seek Him. The best way to know what God wants is to know God intimately. The best way to know what His will is is to know what God is like and what He desires and the things that are in Him. So we walk with Him. We seek Him. You will seek me. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you come at me with all of your heart. So I want to put these phrases that we've used here together. I want to put the headlines together. Commit, and then daily, and then seek Him. You want to be a person who lives with godly decisions. What do you do? You commit daily to seek Him. Commit daily to seek Him. What he's asking of you is something that he has done already. He has shown himself. What he's um, inviting you into is a relationship with him. And maybe you're here and the first step you need to take is just give your life to him. Jesus, I want you to be in charge. Forgive me of my sin and make me um, a new person. Maybe, though, you're in here and you've got other decisions that you need to make. And what you have done is exalted the decision over the relationship. That's a terrible inversion, y'all. Church family, don't do it. This decision is important. God is more so. He's more so. Don't surrender your relationship with him. Don't, Don't abdicate your relationship with him in the name of getting some guidance on what you want. You have. He's offering himself to you as a guide. It's far better than a map. I don't know what you need to commit. I don't know what you need to surrender. I don't know what you need to offer. But today is a day that you can start committing daily to seek Him. And when you do, what you're going to find, what you're going to find is that the promise really is true. He has plans. And they're for your good. They really are. Let's pray together. Then we'll sing a song about abiding in Jesus and That fits right with what we're talking about. Let's pray. Father, um, please, just in the places where this needs to be applied, I pray that you would apply it. I, I, Holy Spirit, would you just work here deep down. um, You would take the truth of what has been said and you would press it uh, into even the smallest cracks in our lives because we want to be filled up with this kind of stuff. The world's going to try to pack its junk into us all week. We want to be filled up with this kind of stuff so that there's no room for it. I pray in particular for uh, any person here who's not given their life to you yet, today would be the day that they can do that. And Father, I pray for all the brothers and sisters in here, those watching online, Maybe they've got something they're so desperate for, so ready to hold on to. And the best thing they could do is release it to you. Would you give that grace this morning? Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you for the gathering. Please, by your Holy Spirit, minister 
do what you want to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen.